Are you ready? We're going to up today. I hope your Thanksgiving was great. I hope you had a great time with, with friends and family and you didn't eat too much that you had to go home and pray about or, you know. Listen, we have been in this series called Light for the Journey. And it is navigating life's path with God's Word. Here's the reason why. Because so many times people forget or, or they don't understand the importance of the Bible in their life. And, and I don't know how many believers don't hold to the Bible. And they're like, eh, I don't read it that often. I don't do that much with it. Man, you can't live that way, Ron. Just, we just can't. It, we should have a steady diet uh, of God's Word in our life. But here's the problem. What if we don't? Well, here's the danger. If we don't have a steady diet of God's Word in our life, chances are we're going to forget who we really are. Amen. We're going to forget what God is, who God has created us to be, what God has created us to have, how God has created us to act. We, we, we live in a kingdom that is so much larger than we think it is, but we have limited to the kingdom uh, as just random acts of visitations of God. And, and, and we've come to the place where we thought we were in the middle of something great, but then something happened. Go to James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to finish this up today. Because we are called to establish or to continue the established kingdom of God on the earth. James chapter 1, look at what he says here. He said, therefore lay aside all filthiness and remaining wickedness. Now, before you think he's talking to a bunch of unbelievers there, he's not. <laughs> he's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to people like you and I. He said, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and remaining wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. That word engrafted word there, it means to be, it's an inborn thing. It's to be implanted by nature. You see, that's what God has done for us by our new nature. By your acceptance, acceptance this morning, it's a new nature. And he has placed his word inside of us through Jesus. But that, it means implanted by others' instructions. Look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Sad fact about church people. <laughs> you ready? Sad fact about church people, we hear the word a lot, but we don't always do it. I said we, I ain't picking on you. We hear the word a lot, but we don't always do it. But here's what he says, if we're not doing the word we're hearing, like we've been on this series, what, four weeks now? I've done three, Pastor Ted did one. Uh, if we just hear this stuff and we don't do it, you know who's fooled? We're just fooled. He said, and be, hearers, and be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man viewing his natural face in a mirror. So what does that tell us about God's word? It should be a what? 
What does a mirror do? Reflects what? Of whom? So what is God's word supposed to be in us? When we read this word and we read the works of Jesus, we read the works of Paul, we read the works of Peter, we read all these things, that is a reflection of who you really are. We look at that like, oh man, those guys were awesome. They were great. I would love to live back there in those days so I could see that stuff. But it's a reflection. The word is a mirror. It's reflecting who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be acting. (laughs) And it reflects who we're supposed to actually look like. Verse 24, he said he views himself. So the word is like a man who looks a natural face in a mirror. And he, he... He views himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he he was. What good would it have done for me to get up this morning, look at myself in the mirror, realize I hadn't shaved in about three days, and my hair was kind of funky, and I go, Man, I got some stuff to fix. And I walk away and immediately forget what I look like. And I don't take the time to fix the things that my reflection showed me was out of whack. That's what happens with the Word. We grab this thing and we open it up and we read it and then we walk away and we forget, oh, it showed me what I should look like. It showed me what I am. It showed me who I was. I'm supposed to be a reflection of that. He says, but whoever, verse 25, but whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer. I think that's our problem, Pastor Dave. We're forgetful hearers. He says, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man is blessed in his deeds. Well, I want to be blessed. Okay, you want to be blessed? Do what the word says. Look in the Word, let it show you what's out of whack. Let it show you what you're supposed to look like. Fix that. And then go back and watch God begin to bless you. Our problem is, we go and we look in the Word, and we're like, eh, I can live with it. Good enough. Let me tell you something. Aaron, I learned a long time ago. I don't look at D. When she says, how do I look? And I go, fine. She's mad. Fine. She goes, fine. Well, fine. Oh, Kelsey's that way too, huh? <laughs> She's laughing too hard. See, what it is, I, to me, to man brain here, okay? Fine is, hey, it's good. Let's go. She, never, she said, fine is a C. I don't want to be a C. Uh, who, who grades themselves like that? Well, the word's supposed to be grading us like that. The Word is supposed to be showing us, how do I look? Oh, I got some things out of whack. I got some things that's sticking up that don't need to be sticking up. I got some things that's popping out that don't need to be popping out. And I look into that perfect law of liberty, and it shows me who I am. And I ask myself, do I line up with what it says about me? Our problem is most of us either have never learned what it says about us, or we have, for, we have learned it and we forget it. 
Martin Luther said he talked about grace so much because we forgot about it so often. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You're looking fine. (laughs) Y'all good? All right. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We love that verse. But you can't have that verse without the next one. But we all, seeing the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces as what? In a mirror. Even Jesus himself is a reflection of what we should look like. Of who we should be. Of how we should, we should be bringing the kingdom to the earth. Of how we should be doing this thing. He said, being transformed into the same image. So what the Word does is shows us Jesus and says, do you line up to this? And I know before you start feeling guilty, ain't nobody can line up to that. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. Did I say you're going to be perfect at it? Nope. Somebody come to me the other day talking about some failure that they had made, some mistake. You know what my answer to them was? Welcome to humanity. That's who we are. (laughs) We're going to make those mistakes. We're going to make those failures, but it doesn't change what God has created us to be. It doesn't change that we're still supposed to be reflecting God. Okay, so I got some things out of whack. I'll grab a comb and I'll fix it. I'll look at the things in my life and I'll begin to repair those things. He says, but we with unveiled faces as in a mirror are being transformed into the same image. The image of what? The image of Jesus. From glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. How many of you know what the hope of glory is? Scripture tells us what the very hope of glory is. Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Do you realize that you have, you hold inside of you the very hope of glory because Christ lives in you. We are the reflection of God's glory. We should be... We should be growing more into that glory than some of the things that we've gone into. Our problem is we don't believe enough good about ourselves. And I'm going to be the first to say it right here. You ready? Chris, they might get mad and you're going to have to take over. The church has not done a good job at teaching especially believers, that they are the hope of glory. We've not taught well enough about who you really are in Christ, about how God sees you as righteous, how he sees you as holy, how he sees you as sanctified and set apart, how he sees you as a chosen vessel for his honor. How he, what we've done is say, okay, you do this, this, and this, and this, you don't got it. Come back and try again. Oh, you did that? I can't believe I would, I can't believe you would do that. They're living how? Not every, hey, folks, not everybody that's a believer lives right. Try that over here. 
That side's perfect, I guess. Not everybody that's a believer is living right. But it doesn't change God's love for them. And it doesn't change that the word is still there. That should cause them to be transformed into a new image. The way they were may not be the way they'll end up. But when are we as the church going to have enough time to hold somebody by the hand and say, if this takes me the next three years to get there with you, Oh, you messed up? Eh. That's what we do. Now, we've become good at this. We have become great at this in the Western church. Oh, you've blown it. But is that how God originally made you and I? Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We've got to look at the original creation to know who we really are. Then God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now we all know the Targumonoculus. God breathed into man and it became to him a speaking spirit. We all know that. We've taught that here enough. Here's what I want to get though. And God formed whom? Man. Here, you ready for a shocker? You know what the word man is in the original language? Adam. Adam. This is how God made man. Adam got his name because that's just what he was. In some places it continues on just to mean humanity. And so we could easily read this and God created and formed humanity from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and humanity became a living being. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted in a garden in the east in Eden and there he placed the man he had formed. Where did he put him? In the garden. In Eden. Now, let's just... Settle some things real quick. You ready? The garden was not called Eden. The area that it was placed was Eden. He put a garden in Eden and then put man in the garden. So, but we have to understand something. For you to know how great your salvation is, you need to know where God's heart originally placed man. He placed him in Eden. Eden means it's the meaning or a constant state of delight. It's pleasure. It's luxury. It's the many splendid things and enjoyments God gives. God's ever heart, his forever heart for man was to put him in the place of his pleasure. And to put him in all the good things that God gives. See, this is where God, well, you know, God don't like me, so he put me here and he put me No, if we go back to where it all started, God put man in the center of his pleasure. He put him where he knew that he would enjoy all the good things that God has given. It goes on, it means it's indicating, uh uh-oh. Okay, I had to look around the room. Uh, Indicating sexual delight. 
or ecstasy. This is how much God's heart is for you. He put you in Eden, the place of complete satisfaction, the place of ecstasy. It refers to the enjoyment of intimate love with one's spouse. My goodness, do you understand? Are you getting this? God set man into a place of the deepest parts of intimacy, and there he came every evening and walked with man. They were so close. They understood. Adam understood how intimate his relationship with God was. See, the fall... More than anything, we think that this is a result of the fall because we, you know, we've got our, our, our sin checklist, Zach. This sin's bad and this sin's bad. And my sin here is not too bad, so it don't get piled over here with this guy's sin. And so we've got this rank, Kevin. We've got this rank in order, this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin. <laughs> but you know what sin actually did? It didn't bring out these behaviors in us. What it did was blurred the intimate relationship that man and God shared. And now man all of a sudden didn't find himself worthy to be in God's presence. And so when he heard God coming in the evening to have his, his normal afternoon walk with him, he hid himself. See, that's the result of sin. We, we, see, the church wants to do behavior modification. Stop this and you won't be sinning no more. How <laughs> I many of you know I can still do it in here? But what God wants is something that is so intimate that it is as two lovers whose hearts have connected in a moment of intimacy and we see ourselves so intimately connected with God. Just like when people get married, he said, and these two shall be one. And this is where God wants us. And this is where God put man. He said he put him in Eden, in the center of his delight. Can you imagine that dwelling place where God walked and breathed? Go to Genesis 3, 8. This has been the teachiest series, isn't it? I'm telling you, I want you to understand. But if you don't get into the Word, you'll never find this stuff. Genesis 3, 8, it says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Jump down to verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which it was taken. Adam lost that glory. Well, what do you mean he lost that glory? Because he lost that realization of that intimacy that he had with God. And now there's this separation. And it's really not in God's mind. Because God already knew what they'd done. He had already knew what had happened. <laughs> Are you with me? He still came down to have that walk. It was never God hiding from man. Man hid from God. It, uh, did you hear me? 
It was never God hiding. Well, I just don't believe that God loves me. I don't believe that God cares. I don't believe God can forgive me for everything I've done. I just don't. I just, God's not hiding from you. What happens is we believe the lie, the same lie the enemy told in the garden. That we are not a part of his pleasure anymore. That for some reason he quit loving us. For some reason he quit caring for us. For some reason we're not God's choice. Well, I understand God loves pastor. You know, he's, he, he does all this stuff and studies and prays and walks on water and, you know, does all this good stuff. Yeah, I wish. Zach, if they only knew the struggles. Go ahead. Think of the thing you struggle with. I probably do too. But does that mean God quit loving me? Does that mean God just going to say, kick me out and say, here, go try it on your own? See, we've allowed the enemy to tell us who we are. And without the word, but it wasn't good enough for God. Adam and Eve put out of the garden. Now, we, we, we in, in church world love to talk about how that was their punishment. That was not punishment. Are you with me? Them being put out of the garden was not punishment. It was protection. See, because there was another tree that if they would have eaten it, they would have lived with the mindset of separation for eternity. With the, under, with the thought process that they weren't worthy and man for eternity would have been hiding from a God who shows up every evening to have a conversation, to have a talk, who just wants to be a part of our lives and we would have lived in eternity. And so he put man out for his own good. But that wasn't good enough for God. Go to Exodus chapter 25. Look what he says here. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The word dwell, we all know what it means. Lodging, it means to reside or to permanently stay. Mm. It means to abide, to inhabit, to remain, to set up. God's desire is to permanently stay with man. He said, let him make me a sanctuary. Now we know he, they're talking about building the temple here. But here's the problem. Did he say, let them make me a sanctuary so that I can live in it? That's our thought process. That's our mindset. Let him make me a sanctuary and I'll live in that sanctuary. He was never concerned about living in that sanctuary. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may abide with them. He always wanted to be a part of man. He all, so when man did what he did and God started the process that I am going to show them, I'm still here. So make me a sanctuary so that I can show them I'm still here. 
Make me a sanctuary so I can show humanity that I'm not leaving them. Mm. Make me a sanctuary so that I may abide with them permanently. His desire was never to be in a temple. His desire was never to be behind canvas. His desire was for man to always know that he's here. And if you ever question whether God's here for you, I want you to know, just like we sang today, he is very much. He was, he, he was missing that relationship with Adam. And so he says, let him make me a sanctuary so that I may, let's read that again. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God's not concerned with wood and stone. The purpose of the physical temple was to remind us he's still here. Exodus 29, verse 42. Exodus 29, verse 42. This will be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and I will meet with you. And I will speak to you there. And I will meet there with the children of Israel and it will be consecrated by my glory. And I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. And I will sanctify both Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. And I will dwell in that tent. And I will be their God. It's not what he said at all. Read that's not what he said. He says, and I will dwell among the children of Israel. But you know what we've been real good at? We're still real good at putting him behind a veil. Well, you're, you, we've put him behind this veil. Well, yeah, but he tore the veil and came out. And what do we do? Let's stick him right back in there. Because there has to be something that gets in the way of this relationship and your relationship. There's, you can't just look at him. The whole purpose of the veil renting at the crucifixion was to show man again, I'm still here. But the church, we still, we do it. We put him behind a veil with whatever rules. If your hair's not long enough, or if you have too much metal in different parts of your bodies, or you have too much ink in different parts of your bodies, or, or you don't wear the right clothes, and you don't do the right this, and you don't do the right that, then you aren't as close to him. And the whole purpose, that I may dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. God's desire for man is to realize his relationship with man. But because of sin, we have been blinded. Man has been blinded to, the, <laughs> to their original design. And we've remained, we've kept God locked behind the curtain. And we've, we've said, well, God really showed up because somebody had a goosebump or somebody shouted or somebody jumped up and prayed in tongues or somebody fell out. And we think that's what God's move is. <sighs> Come on, Pentecostals. Let's, let's... 
All the others who's not from Pentecostal backgrounds in here said, see, I told you so. <laughs> We've tried to say, unless you see these things. See, even us Pentecostals have put him behind a veil. Well, if you don't do these things, then you really don't know the Holy Spirit. When are we going to let him out and let humanity know that it's always been God's desire to dwell among people? It's always been his desire to dwell among people. And my job and your boys' job is to be the reflection of Jesus on the earth and to show everybody else that, hey, come on in. Come on in. The party's just started and you're invited. And so we have to be there. So what does it mean for you and I to be the reflection of God? We're almost there, guys. Everybody breathing? First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 45. I have never heard Harvest Church this quiet. <laughs> Ever. Y'all still hung over on turkey. <laughs> so it is written, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam. In other words, there's not going to be another one. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. However, that which is spiritual is not first, but that which is natural. In other words, God set it up in man. Man was the first temple. Man was the first house of God. He, bring, he built him out of the dust of the ground and he put his spirit inside. The very first dwelling of God was the soul of man. And, but what happened was he believed a lie that somehow God was holding back something from him. That somehow he wasn't good enough. Remember, what does it say? And God said, let us make man in our image. And yet the enemy still comes in and convinced Eve that God's holding something back. You can be like God. They already were like God. In every way, in every shape, in every form, and every fashion. They were already like God. But the lie is God's holding something back, and you somehow don't measure up to what he is. Oh. <laughs> so the second one, then spiritual, verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man was the Lord from heaven. The man of dust... As, as was the man of dust, so was those who are of dust. I like this, though. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Verse 49, as we have borne the image of dust, we also bear the image. We also 
bear the image of the Son of the, of the man of heaven. We also, everybody say we. we. Me. Me. Me also bears the image of the man of heaven. You bear the image of God. You bear the image of Christ. When he says there, he says, so we shall also, we, we, in our English brain, we, we hear that maybe we'll get there. We shall. <laughs> We're not there yet. But that word actually, it's not the meaning of that word as a future tense something. It's the original language actually read more like, so let us also. So let us also bear his image. So whose responsibility then is it to bear the image of Christ? It's our, it's our responsibility. Nobody can show Jesus in your life more like you can. We were created for a relationship. We were created to be the dwelling of God. But we have to bear the responsibility of showing that. John chapter 14. John 14, it says, the spirit of truth. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another counselor that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him. Neither does it know him. But you know him for he lives, what? With you. What did he say? Let him build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Jesus is telling them here, he lives with you. But when I go away, he will be in you. The whole purpose was Jesus coming was to put man back as that tabernacle again. Where God dwelled in man again and not a house, and not a building. This building is not the place where God dwells. If we stop having church here, they'll sell it, and it'll become something else. Jump down to verse 20. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He's in the Father, and I'm in Him. So where does that put me? In the Father. And He said, you're in me, but I'm in you. But if He's in the Father, where does that put the Father? And then we can look at other uh, scriptures where, where we just talked about the Holy Spirit being in you. So do you realize when we open our reality and we accept this great salvation, we don't get Jesus in our heart. You get the absolute fullness of the Trinity of God dwelling in you and you in Him. There is that relationship of intimacy again. There's that relationship of two hearts beating as one again. There's so much tangled up that you can't unmix us. He said, I'm in the Father and you're in me and me and you and 
Holy Spirit's in you, and so we're all just one big. It, it would be, it would, to, to undo it would be like you and I trying to, in our own ability, unmake Kool-Aid. Well, it can't be done. I know it can be done. I can't do it. <laughs> you know what? Because it's something out of my hands. And this great salvation that brought the Spirit in, that brought the Father in, that brought Jesus himself in, is out of my hands. It was laid in the hands of someone else. It was laid at the cross. And in that cross, we became one with God again. No more dwelling in temples, no more dwelling in tents, no more hiding behind canvas. He came out and now he is alive in you. You are the reflection of the divine trinity of God. Jesus reinstituted the dwelling place of God as the lives of man. And he redeemed man back to his original place. All right, my favorite set of scriptures, who knows it? I read them all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 changed my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 literally changed my life because once I grabbed it, D, I could never go back. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and look, all things have become new. All this is from whom? God did it. Not me. <laughs> all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So who has he done this for? He's done it for the world. Now, wait a minute. You're saying they've already got it? I'm saying they've already got it. Are they living it? Are they taking advantage of it? Are they accepting it? Because there's the key. <laughs> Are they accepting it? No. That's why he gave us the job of reminding them and showing them that here's God. He's right here with you. Oh, are you okay? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So if, I won't get into that today. Um, verse 19, that is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Here's the kicker, you ready? And not, if you're reading King James this morning, it says imputing. If you want to know what that word imputing means. And not counting their sins against them. What? Here's the good news, you ready? God does not have a book where he's keeping track of where you blew it and where you got it right. He's not up there counting your sins and there's not some limit you're going to get to where he'll quit loving you, he'll quit chasing you, or he will quit accepting you. He is not up there counting up your sins against you. What he is doing is waiting on you to accept a, a relationship that's free. That the work for it's already been done. 
He's already reconciled the world to himself. So what has he done? He has entrusted us with the ministry to tell others. Yeah, but I know so-and-so, they ain't living right. They could easily turn around and say that about you. Just because you hide yours better. This quiet was real, this side was real quiet, this side was real loud. So I don't know who to talk to now. Just because I hide mine better. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, just just a few few uh, verses down. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin. Not just to carry sin. Mm. He made him who knew no... You don't want to know how bad God wanted rid of the sin issue? He made him who knew no sin to be sin. And he who became sin put sin on a cross. Nailed it to a tree. So that the forgiveness and the grace and the blood of Jesus would cover it completely. (laughs) And God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might be made. What? The righteousness of God in him. That's who. He became sin, Ted. So that we would be righteous. So when am I righteous? Funny thing is, it's like having a million dollars in the bank and not realizing I have the debit card in my pocket. That's the, joy, that's the greatness of salvation. It's already done. I just don't realize I've got it. Why? Because the Word says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those. You are so connected with God that you have become the very righteousness of God. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Look what he wrote to the church of Galatians here. In verse 26, he said, you are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's all it took. No works, no check boxes, no hair lengths, no tattoo removals, no piercing removals. Some of y'all be in trouble if it was that. (laughs) all it is he said you are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ that means now you wear Christ like a coat you are wrapped up and there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. 
the word in there. You say, why would you want to define the word in? Because I want you to know it means more than just being inside of. It is a primarily, it's a primary preposition that denotes a fixed. If something is a fixed position, you know what it means? Can't be moved. But I blew it bad last week. Come back to the Father. He loves you. But I made so many mistakes, Pastor. Okay. Welcome to humanity. He loves you. Your relationship with Him is in that fixed place. The only person... We do the same thing Adam did. We run over here and we hide from a God who's still coming down every evening saying, come and walk with me. Come and talk with me. Come and spend some time together. It's a word that settles who we are. And the word of God answers all of these questions. It tells us who you are. If we'll believe it. It tells you exactly who you are. But there's a caveat there. If you'll believe it. Now it doesn't change it. But you don't take a, <laughs> You don't take a, 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 an understanding of it. So the question is. Are you willing to walk in that light? I think it's funny today because when Holy Spirit gave me those songs, I didn't realize the, the last song Abba was going to lead straight into. I didn't know he was going to sit here and just sing about salvation. And I didn't know this message was going to come out the way it did. But I will tell you this, he is definitely wanting you to know this today. He's right here for you. And you have not done too much. And you've not gone too far. And you've not been too bad. You say, yeah, but you don't know my past. I've been in jail for this, this, and this. Okay, who cares? Right, Angie? God loves you more than that. Your past does not define you. But I'll tell you what the Word will do. It'll show you what's out of place. And it'll cause us to change it. I've got prayer team coming right now. They are moving this way right now. I want to pray. Don't forget uh, everything that's going on. Watch the, the slides. Listen for the announcements. But today, if you need prayer... You say, man, I just need to make sure that my relationship is shored up. That's it's, that, that I understand that it's shored up. Come and talk to these guys. Come and let them pray for you. Come and receive what God has already given. All you have to do is accept it's already yours. And let him love you. Let him chase you for an eternity. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We glorify you in the beauty of your holiness. And Father, today, as salvation just runs rampant in this place. You've already done all the work. There's nothing else to establish and there's nothing else to do 
except to accept what has freely been given. And I praise you for it now. And Father, I pray that today, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, that it shows us what's out of place and we make the changes. In Jesus' name, amen.